0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Wood Chat, a Forest and Wood Products Australia podcast. I'm Georgia.
1: And I'm Sam and today we're here to talk about a number of interesting and important forestry related projects developed in response to the catastrophic bushfire season of 2019 and 2020.
0: As we are all no doubt acutely aware The unprecedented bushfires that summer resulted in the destruction of many properties, a devastating impact on our wildlife, and the tragic loss of human life.
1: From an industry perspective, the fires caused extensive damage to Australia's plantation and natural forest resources. Sadly, climate modelling predicts the extent of wildfires would continue to increase in Australia, and as a result, the economic impacts of wildfires are also likely to rise. In the forestry sector, fire poses a significant business risk for plantation companies, wood processors and manufacturers.
0: During this episode, you'll hear about some of the work that's been taking place to increase the Australian timber industry's preparedness and capacity to minimise the adverse impacts of future fire events in forestry plantations.
1: First up, I spoke to Braden Jenkin, lead author of guidelines that were developed to offer a summary of the collective knowledge of many Australian forest industry members with previous experience in the salvage, storage and processing of fire-damaged
2: timber. The charter was to document the collective knowledge on fire salvage, that was the brief. The government agencies who were managing the forest had spent a lot of time documenting things and it, it was field foresters who were writing reports and we got access to those reports. Um, there's also technical papers done, both in terms of published peer review as well as internal organisational technical reports. And so what was it that prompted the development of these guidelines? It comes into the whole process of you can have a, a nice organised research programme Then you get a big fire event and people suddenly start to realize well hey we need to do something both physically in the field but also from an information point of view to help guide what we do in the field it's really quite practical and fundamental Um, a lot of resource damaged a lot of resource killed you know how do we deal with this and so could you tell me then a bit
1: about some of the areas that you did end up focusing on and what some of the key learnings were from looking
2: into those areas I started looking at the whole question of triage, so which stands first to the harvest. Then that led to the consideration of um, indexes of damage and mapping that and damage classification. Then I just asked myself what should be a bleeding obvious question, how does fire kill a tree? And so I went through the process of going through the publications, information to pull together, this is how fire kills a tree and this is how variation in fire doesn't kill a tree or kills a tree in different ways. So then the whole process of storing logs, And a lot of people are very focused on, let's build, you know, big ponds where we put our logs, let's build big flat pads where we we stack the logs and put water on them. But what the research shows is that you do have time. And one of the key messages that came out of the whole um, document was you've got somewhere between 18 months and two years before the trees as useful sources of logs degrade too much. It's not like you've got two days with the right weather conditions. And it's really beholden to what the seasons do. You can be producing good sawn timber out of logs after two years and the cheapest way to actually undertake the salvage is to not salvage and dump as in put into a, a storage area and water it the easiest way and cheapest way is to store on the stump that makes the triage process so much more important in terms of which trees go first uh, the ones that are likely to degrade first
1: and did you also look at previous research into the impacts of pests and diseases
2: there's Two biological impacts or biological damage agents, first one being ips beetles, so the beetles bore into the tree, and that can um, create mechanical damage, so holes in the wood, but also brings in blue stain to the trees. And the blue stain gets in the wood and the wood, although mechanical properties are only slightly changed, it's got a blue look and um, it's not liked in some markets. That was a perception, but when we sort of scratched the surface and started asking people The blue stain wasn't as big an issue as people had thought, but it certainly was an issue. And the other um, damage agent, there's a couple of diseases that can get in and um, more fungus that can come in and cause the same, uh, similar to the blue stain effects. So
1: based on your findings from looking at all of this past research, what are some practical examples of the sorts of steps foresters could think about taking to mitigate the impacts of a fire event on their resource post-fire?
2: Simple things like have agreements in place with contractors that they can shift around. Have an agreement in place what their rates going to be for harvesting you know, black sticks, which are more complex to harvest in terms of wear and tear on machinery. Also, in order to facilitate maximum harvest of the burnt forest, an ability to say you stop harvesting the green forest, so unburnt areas, the resources go into the burnt area, focus on that. The mills all then accept um, burnt logs, and you're storing your other forests, so the green forest, for another day. So what would you say were the key takeaways then
1: from going through this process of looking at past research?
2: There was a huge amount of knowledge we already had. Quite often, knowledge which you have gets lost. But when you go through the old publications, a lot of work had been done, particularly after specific fire events. So Ash Wednesday, they did a lot of work with fire salvage and looking at how to store those logs. Some of the logs were stored for up to 10 years underwater. Or in big dumps with sprinklers, and then you start chasing yeah. up other evidence about um, dumping large volumes of logs. What are the ins and outs? How high can you stack them? How much water do you need to put on? And it's all been documented. And when you pull it all together in, in tables of examples, you start to see the commonalities, and you can come up with recommendations. Actually, without actually going out and spending a year trying to test it.
1: Okay, and what would be the benefits? Do you think of um, these
2: guidelines to the industry
1: and having them at its disposal. I think there's a number
2: of benefits. The first one is it, you do have time, which then leads to considering storage on the stump as your strategy. So rather than harvest and dump under sprinklers, which is expensive, we kind of eliminated that as an option. Storing on the stump is much more efficient. Another one that's um, I think is clearly eliminated is people thinking about storing logs in dams. Storing logs in dams has been done historically. It's very complex and uses a whole lot of environmental considerations. with logs going into dams and the water just becomes stagnant. By the harvesting being managed as well as possible, you end up maximizing your log recovery to the various other steps in the supply chain. So making sure that sawmills have enough wood going forward. So it's about how to keep the industry going as efficiently as possible. Rather than just thinking you have a simple one option, You've got a range of tools there which you can look at and understand that you can buy time and make sure you do eke out that supply to keep the sawmill and the, you know, the customers supplied with logs. Braden's work proceeded
1: and fed into another project involving efforts to create a national network of industry and research fire expertise and generate salvage management options for harvest and storage operations following a fire event – Georgia spoke to Dr Tim Smith of the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries about this work.
3: We as an industry needed to have a better uh, handle on how we dealt with post-wildfire events. This need for more information was recognised as being an increasing need with climate change and other events indicating that the risk is probably going to get greater, not less. So consequently, uh, FWPA was looking for a program that we would step through all the various processes and impacts from the fire and how the industry may respond so that we could actually minimise the financial losses and also the resource losses. The program would look to incorporate the findings from the studies that have been done previously and then build on those, obviously, to um, get to a point where we can provide fairly clear guidelines for
1: industry in how best to manage burnt timber, Tim went on to tell Georgia about some of the things the project, which has yet to commence, has been designed to look at. He revealed the research team is proposing a combination of studies that will be used to determine impacts of fire events on such things as tree damage and survival rates, the properties of affected wood, the effectiveness of treatment options for fire-damaged logs, and the risk of pest infestation and stain development.
3: It is looking at several components. So one is you can either leave the trees in the field and monitor and determine the rate of degrade that happens with the existing trees. And that that has a wide range of variables depending on the amount of damage that's occurred to the tree and whether it can recover. A highly stressed tree will typically be more susceptible to pest and disease. And so it will be looking at those sorts of aspects of further sort of reduction in quality as a direct result of that stress tree being more prone to pest and disease and other downgrade factors. We're looking at uh, a range of large and smaller field trials, looking at imposition of fire treatments, working closer with industry to um, set up plots in the field where we transfer heat to standing trees. And there's a few different methods in that space. So, for example, um, CSRO have a, um, a large combustion wind tunnel, which uh, is very good at simulating a number of the impacts of fire. There's a scalar version of heat panels and also very tightly controlled heat panels in laboratories so we can take a section of log, seal it so that it's as close as possible to a standing tree and then impose that to very controlled conditions and then taking uh, samples, running them through research mills to look at the um, cellular level degrade to Mm. determine the impact on on the wood quality itself with the various degrees of um, fire exposure and then work back from there to see what the um, implications are for either a, a forest manager or a processor whether or not you can recover good timber through various changes in processing for example peeling options to remove the um, charred outer exterior of the logs and then recover good quality timber in the core of the stem depending on the degree of Degradation. We're looking to give the industry a um, a series of management options, which uh, provides the best recovery from those uh, resources.
0: Could you also give me some more detail on what the research will look like in terms of storage?
3: In that space, we we've got a couple of options that we're uh, investigating. One is looking at submersion of the of the logs and purpose-built dams or or similar
1: watercourses that are available that can be um, Utilised for that purpose. Just jumping in here for a moment, you'll recall Braden Jenkin mentioned during his interview earlier in the episode that storage of logs underwater can result in environmental issues associated with stagnant water and the leaching of chemicals. However, that's not to say this practice should be ruled out altogether. While Braden suggested that ideally burned trees would be left standing until they can be processed by the mill, in situations where factors such as weather conditions or the extent of damage prohibits this, storing logs underwater could still provide a good alternative solution. There's the potential in the future for research such as TIMS to include engagement with experts and regulators around possibilities for the mitigation of the potential environmental issues associated with this practice. And consideration will be given to emerging technologies and protective systems that could allow for the safe storage of logs underwater in circumstances where value recovery would be strong enough to justify this. And now back to Tim as he discusses other types of storage options.
3: And the other is um, long piles and using factors such as irrigation to um, keep the, the logs um, moist and also keep out insects that will come in and bring with them blue stain fungi and the like.
0: Could you tell me a bit more about that aspect of the work?
3: We'll be looking at monitoring the pest and disease impacts over time, see the level of damage that occurs post-treatment, but at the same time, plants will have their own defence if they're not badly damaged. So having the, looking at the degree of damage and the ability of those trees to withstand pest and disease attack.
1: The remit of this research is a broad one, and we'll also look at other forestry-related impacts of fire events, such as changes to the quality of fire-impacted sites, wildfire risk modelling with future resource availability in mind, economic value recovery and market ramifications.
0: What are some of the positive impacts that this project will bring the industry?
3: For industry, it's it's giving them the best practice the up-to-date guidelines to manage those trees in in salvage operations. Also provide much greater discrimination on what can be left in in the field as well. So if it's possible that it's only minor damage, uh, it can be left to grow, whereas other areas may be salvaged. They can modify their, their harvesting schedules to get greater value back. Uh, it's providing a decision support tree that they can uh, use for optimum um, post-fire salvage response and have that uh, as best uh, as we can customised to different regions and conditions and providing communications material that can um, be immediately given to the various industry players to give them some understanding of the impacts and how they can look
1: to minimise those impacts. The ultimate objectives, according to Tim, include providing information that will enable effective management and harvest operations to maximise value recovery from fire-impacted logs, guide salvage and storage regimes to optimise the protection of any salvage logs against things like degradation and making recommendations for the rehabilitation of sites where trees are grown to restore productivity for the next rotation of tree growth. Guiding processing procedures for various product lines will also be a top priority, as well as maintaining market access to fire-impacted products.
0: What are the next stages of this program?
1: So the
3: program uh, hasn't been funded as yet. FWPA is looking for funding for this program so that we can be ahead of the, the game. So what it looks like is, is a much um, more coordinated whole of Australia approach. The studies that have happened today were, I guess, more targeted to um, certain scenarios, whereas this is a, a national approach across a number of different forest industry areas. It um, would be bringing together all of the expertise across Australia in both forestry, forest products and iron and, and chemistry related
1: to timber from the various university, government and industry sectors. Dr. Tim Smith there telling Georgia about his most recent work, which is an initiative of Forest and Wood Products Australia. Really interesting stuff. Absolutely. Now, you might recall during episode 20 of WoodChat, we spoke to Dr. Dean Williams of Sustainable Timber Tasmania about the potential for technologies to be installed permanently within forest environments to inform better decision-making and support optimal forest management.
0: During that conversation, Dean mentioned briefly that one area of potential future use for such technologies could be the detection of fire and the prediction of its behaviour. I tracked down Dean Williams for a chat to find out more.
4: It's really about gaining as much knowledge as you can in terms of the environment that we operate in to help us make informed decisions in a more timely way. How can the internet of things through data acquisition, getting that data out of the forest to use that in, in forest management and more specifically to this project is in fire management and actually presenting it to the, the manager and the decision maker in the most appropriate way so they can make you know the best decisions on that best information available.
0: Uh, what inspired you specifically to be a part of this work?
4: Yeah, so it's really grown out of a, a previous project that we've been working on, on monitoring eagles. That was sort of like our initial taste in the internet of things in, in land management. And then we were looking for other applications for the internet of things. We wanted to see could we improve the way we do fire management, particularly around plant burnings and fuel reduction burns to make them more effective, uh, safer and save time and money.
0: Could you tell me a little bit about the technology and specifically the sensors being used in this project?
4: A tool that we use in both fuel reduction and regeneration burns are what we call fuel moisture sticks. So they're placed out in the areas where we don't want to burn as an indicator of fuel moisture. The way we get the data from them is that we actually have people go out with little scales and weigh them. So there's it's fairly time consuming to actually oh. get this information What we're using is a sensor that replaces those sticks that does essentially the same job, but it goes through a communications network, gets transferred to the cloud where it's available to be um, viewed on your computer screen back in the office. So you can see that there's an opportunity there from the technology to save a considerable amount of time to get the same data.
0: What does the term fuel moisture mean in this context?
4: The fuel moisture um, is really about you know, how green or how dry the, the, you know, the leaf litter is on the forest floor. So if it's too green or if it's too wet, then it's not going to burn or it's not going to burn enough um, that you actually remove enough of the fuel. And so there is a sweet spot in the terms of percentage moisture in the fuel that you want to get to so that it burns effectively but doesn't burn too hot.
0: Could you tell me a little bit about the LoRa Data Communication Network and what role it's playing in this research?
4: The LoRa communications that we're using is something that, you know, employed widely in the the Internet of Things. And so it's sort of like an open source communications network. So it has that flexibility. Um, It's something that you can own yourself. And across the landscape, it's basically your network that you can tap into. And the way it's facilitated is that you have what we call gateways installed across the landscape, and so the gateways are the devices that collect the radio signals that are coming from the from the sensors, and then forwards those onto the cloud. So then, once it's in the cloud, then it's accessible, um, you know, on your desktop computer.
0: What are the next stages?
4: We're really trying to validate the new tools, the Internet of Things tools. The current methods have been used for decades. They're accepted, they're integrated, they're trusted. And so it's really shifting the focus from the traditional tools over to the new tools. And so we need to to do the proper validation to make sure that, you know, there's a a basically one-for-one exchange so that the information you get from the old tools is the same as the information you get from the new tools. The big picture looks great, but we just got to do the groundwork at this stage.
1: It's been really encouraging to hear about some of the ways that industry and research community have responded to the tragic bushfire season of 2019 and 2020 to help ensure we are best prepared to make a strong recovery following any future fire events.
0: And with the impacts of climate change, no doubt continuing to be felt in Australia and beyond, these sorts of projects have never been more important.
1: Agreed. Thank you for listening today and we hope
0: you'll join us next time for more Wood
1: Chat.